We ended our research series last week, and we're going back into the book of Luke. Remember, we were going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, in the book of Luke, and so many things that that has taught us thus far. Uh, If you remember where we left off, it was the new Sabbath. Did anybody remember that message? The new Sabbath, uh, where we spoke about finances, where we spoke about people making and elevating money to that new thing that we really put a lot of focus and a lot of effort into. And uh, we kind of broke that down and then went into our missions and then went into a summer series. Uh, but now we're gearing back. We're getting back into school season. How many are looking forward to school starting again? Yes. Parents are like, get them in there. We're done. <laughs> uh, summer's coming to a close. And how many have had your vacation? How many have had a vacation? There you go. Just a few. No one on this side vacationed? There's one. That's right. Come on. There we go. Uh, you've had your vacations, and, and we're getting back into the swing of things. Um, so that's, that's where we're going to land. We're going back into the book of Luke, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited because at Bethlehem Church, we believe that it's simply Jesus. And so walking through the book of Luke, it allows us to walk through the life of Christ and really see how he would handle things, really see how his ministry applies to our ministry. And if your ministry, let me say this, if what you do can't be applied to what Jesus did, then something is off. If you can't match your life up with Christ's life, then you're not Christ-like, and we need to make some adjustments, right? So he's the standard, not me. There's been times in my past that I have been a part of certain churches where it's the pastor. He's got the standard, his life, his... And, and I'll do my best. Paul said, I'm a sample. I'm an in-sample to you. I'm like at Costco where you drive by, right? We all go to Costco because of the sample ladies, right? How many go by and collect as many samples as you can? You know that's right. Yeah. I like the, the, the hot stuff where it says, yeah, that's right. How, how do you say it in Spanish? It's always in English and Spanish. My wife, how do you say, how do you say it in Spanish? You don't know? Where it says hot. Caliente, something like that. I don't want to cuss, but that's, I think that's what it is. Caliente. <laughs> anyway, but it's, it's hot, but I love those samples. And, and when, you, when you eat the sample, it, it's just that. It's a sample of what it would be to buy the box, right? So the, and I don't know if it's the sample or the older lady that says, would you like to buy one? I mean, Costco knows what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? Are you sure? <laughs> you feel like you're saying no to your grandmother. You know what I mean? No, I don't want that. Uh, you know, and she just lets out like a balloon. And you know, when, when she guilts you into that, and you're like, yeah, I'll take one. She, her and her friend, who are three hours down, she leans back and, because <laughs> they, they have their little inward competition there at Costco. Who's going to sell the most, you know? Anyway, but, but I know that if, if you're a sample lady, I love you. I'm not making fun of you. But, uh, oh, my, I hope it's still recording. No, just kidding. But um, the point is, is, is the sample is there to make you want the big box. And I'm here to portray Christ for you, but I'm not it. That sample ends just like that. If you want the real deal, if you want to take it home, if you want to have the whole kitten caboodle, you know what I'm saying? You got to buy the box. You got to cook that mess later and sit down and have a meal. I'm just giving you just a glimpse of what it's like to live your life for Jesus. So if you don't and haven't bought into Jesus' life yet, that's all I'm trying to show you. I'm not here to make a spectacle of myself. I'm just here to give you a taste and say there's no other way way to live than to live for Jesus. So that's why I like this Luke series. It really gives us a glimpse into the life of Christ. Um, So that being said, jumping back in, Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16 is where we are in the text. 
and I'm going to go there too. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. And if you remember, if you look back, that was the, the Sabbath story that we've already dealt with, and then we're just picking right back up at the last verse we left off of. Verse 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Verse 13. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. And of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. And here's the list. Simon, whom he also named Peter. And Andrew, his brother, James and John. Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zealots. And Judas, the brother of James. And Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. We'll stop there. Those few, 12 to 16, is where we'll focus our message today. That's the the passage that we're going to talk about. The title of my message is this. When it's time to make a decision. When it's time to make a decision. Going back into more expositional teaching, not the research series style messages that I've been giving, we're going to expose from the text some principles of how Jesus made his decision. What was so important about the four verses that we just read? What What decision was Jesus making? He was choosing his disciples. How many of you think that was a relatively important decision? Yeah. That's why we're here. Yes or no? Yeah. That faith was handed down. Had this been a flippant decision by Jesus, we may or may not have been here. Now, lest you say that, that doesn't make sense. Jesus can't make a flippant decision. I want to kind of open this up a little bit to his humanity to the context of of why he did what he did, and I want to make you understand and see the behind the scenes that that I saw here that really gave me confidence, that gave me hope, that gave me faith in in these few verses of Scripture here. So verse 12, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. I want to say a few things by way of just understanding the context here. As he would later remind them, ye did not choose me, but I chose you. Jesus would later tell his disciples that he chose them. John 15, 16, 670, and John 13, 18. John 15, 16 says this, follow me, church. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name... He may give it to you. So in this idea, this context, we ask of the Father, take that and trickle it all the way back 2,000 years. We ask, how many have asked some things this week in prayer to God? Any of you? Huh. We've asked in the name of the Father, if you trickle that back, Lucas, and understand that, sorry about the, 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 uh, uh, the popping, but we have to understand that we're able to ask that because Jesus chose right. That's what that verse in John 15, 16 is saying. I'm going to choose you so that you can bear fruit, so that you can work the work that I sent you to do. And then from there, you're going to be able to ask of the Father and great and mighty things are going to be done. Does that make sense? All hinging back to Jesus' decision of what 12 he would pick. That the Lord chose 12 men. Listen to, listen to this. Here's context. 
that the Lord, I really like this pulpit. God, I really, anyway, sorry. That the Lord chose 12 men is not random because that number was symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. The importance of the number was underscored by the addition of Matthias to take Judas's place in Acts 1, 23 through 26. Since Israel and its leaders were apostate or they were defected, the 12 were there to serve as leaders of the new true Israel of God, the redeemed believing remnant. Not that God was done with Israel, that's a different sermon, but the point is is that Jesus was specific to choose 12 in reference to the 12 tribes of what? Israel. Jewish book, Jewish religion. He was a Jew. He was there. He came unto his own. That was the Jewish people. But his own received him not. Therefore, electing 12 disciples to carry on this faith that was dropped That through murmuring and complaining and through hundreds of years of the Old Testament, and we read, fell through the cracks. Understand? So we have to take this in context that Jesus was choosing 12, watch this, deliberately. What tells us that? When Judas Iscariot was killed, which we'll get to that, he was, his position was filled. If you're sitting on the front row, you're in the splash zone. This is like SeaWorld. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just going to come. I do my best to wet my whistle, but it, it's just, I'm sorry. I apologize. I love every one of you. I'm not spitting on you for, the, for any bad reason. But the point is, is this. He was deliberate in his decision. Here, here's something else. Those in group one, now, you can't take the Bible. I'm trying to teach you something. You can't take the Bible and throw away little facts. You can't take anything for granted. Every jot and tittle, those were Hebrew marks of punctuation that were the smallest marks of punctuation to show that every little period, every little colon matters. The way things were phrased, it was given uh, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So watch this. Those in group one, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, were the first four called by Jesus to be his disciples. John 1, 35 through 42. The most intimate with him. And those about whom the most is known. While there is some information about group two, very little is known about group three. So in the order that Jesus releases the information about the 12 that he would choose would be in the exact order of which scripture would deem the importance. Peter, first one to mention, he's the, he, we know the most about him. We know that he was the leader, right? We know that he had the biggest what? Mouth. <laughs> no coincidence. But we understand not just to take for granted in this context the way that Jesus spells out his decision. That's the amazing thing about scripture. Don't take it for granted. Study every little bit. Even in this, we find three groups as he releases. And one would be the inner circle. The next, we would know a little bit more about those. And the last, we don't know much at all about those disciples. The 12 were a diverse group. I love this. Listen to this. This in my research uh, could be one of the most important things about this list of men that could apply to our culture. So don't miss this. Um, and this is a good... Uh, uh, this is a good nugget of history and truth for those of you that, that have strong political affiliations. The church isn't the place for it. Watch this. The 12 were a diverse group, not only in their occupations, as noted above, but also in their political views. Think about this. Matthew and Simon, for instance, could not have been any further apart. Matthew was a what? Tax collector. What was Simon? The Bible calls him Simon the Zealot. That's telling. There's something there. We need to dig deeper. What does that mean? 
The Zealots were a faction radically opposed to Rome. They were a terrorist organization. Some have known as the Sicarii for the concealed daggers that they carried. They resorted to kidnapping or even murdering Romans and Jews that suspected that they suspected of being loyal to Rome. Think about this. Were it not for their common devotion to Jesus Christ, Simon may well have murdered Matthew. It was that same devotion that molded all 12 men. Different as they were in occupation, temperament, and political views, into one cohesive unit. One thing I don't want to become is a church that is like everybody else. Is a church that has people in it, they're like everybody in it. Politically, I I should be able to stand over here as, and I'm not even going to give my position, red, blue, independent. We were talking about this this week, weren't we? And then I read this and I was like, oh my goodness, Jose's going to love this. You know, we work out three times a week when I make it, (laughs) which I've been faithful to, come on. But uh, this week I had my workout out there. But we were discussing this, how political affiliation has no bearing on where you stand in the family of Christ. And I've had a lot of people say, you have to be Republican, red blood, in order to be saved. It's just not true. You, you have to understand that other people are coming from other directions and other walks of life, and you have to give them that. You have to give them that space. You know why? Because that's where God put them. Jesus put them there in that life. You haven't walked their shoes. You don't understand what they grew up in. You don't know who his grandparents are. You don't know why they have that political affiliation. And what shows this beautifully is the story of the 12 disciples. You have Matthew, a tax collector, someone who was faithful to Rome. Someone who gave and took from his own family. Chances are he was skimming, he was stealing, he was extorting money from his own people to give to Rome. Yes? That's why he was hated. And then you have Simon the Zealot, a part of a fascist group of people who were known terrorists. Why? Because they were fundamentalists. They did not like Rome. They did not like the fact that the Roman Empire was ruling over their people, and they would do anything, even kidnap and kill, to maintain the integrity of what they felt like was the true religion. He was a terrorist. Both men, Jesus called. Coincidence? Yes or no? Uh Uh-uh. The gospel levels the ground. The gospel, what Jesus Jesus does for us is an incredible thing that says it doesn't matter who you are or who I am. It matters who he is. And me and you, we got to be okay with that. You're sitting on the front row, baby. You know what I'm saying? I'm coming at you now. But it doesn't matter where you stand politically or where I stand. It matters where Jesus stands. And i got to get over the fact that I believe differently than you because we both believe in him. Or else they wouldn't have been disciples. Something about Jesus caused Simon the Zealot to follow him. Something about Jesus caused Matthew the tax collector to drop his money, drop his occupation and say, I want to follow that man. But what happens when they realized who each other were? Can you imagine? That would be like me. Sitting in the room with an Islamic extremist who has been taught and bred his entire life to kill me because I see things differently than he does. That's the extremity of this list of men. That's what makes it so beautiful. Because both men, 
through the story of church history, lay aside their differences and follow Jesus. Could that lesson alone be enough for us today? Could that lesson alone be enough for us to lay down our swords? Lay down our commitments? Lay down our loyalty to whatever is more important than Jesus? Lay down our race? Lay down the radical views that maybe you have been raised with that have no business in the house of God. Man, i got a pulpit that I can smack. Come on. I'm happy about that. That wooden one, I just, I think it would have just gone. I can't. I'll hurt me before I hurt this thing. Listen, church, we got to get over this. Here's what we got to get over ourselves. Son, look yourself in the face and slap it. Your political views are not more important than the gospel. Your color, bless God, is not more important than the gospel. Man, Donald Trump is not going to save this country. Got it. Did you hear that? It's not a political view. It's a God view. Man, I love that list of men. The concept of an apostle, check this out can be traced to the Jewish concept of the shiliac. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. Which is also referred to a messenger sent with full authority to act on behalf of another. We're going to come back to that. In the Old Testament, watch this. David, for example, proposed marriage to Abigail through messengers. And she signified her acceptance of his proposal by washing their feet in 1 Samuel 20, 40-42. Jesus designating the twelve to act on his behalf would thus have been understood by everyone in this culture. What does that mean? Jesus choosing twelve was important because he was enabling them. And when he used that word apostle, it was a Jewish word to understand that they were carrying what? His message. These men, when they chose to be disciples, they were choosing his message above what? Their own. And everyone in that culture understood that. Just as David proposed to Abigail through a messenger and she washed their feet by accepting it. Man, how about that? What do you think, babe? If I would have said, hold on, let me go get my messenger. I'll have him tell you that I want to marry you. <laughs> it doesn't make sense in our culture, does it? But in our, in our positions of where we are, Jesus was saying they are just as important as me. They are carrying out my message just as if I was there saying it to them myself. That's the Hebrew word there. Interesting. The order of events are as it pertains to the disciples. They believed, listen to this church, they believed in him, the disciples. He called them to leave their occupations and follow him full time. Listen to the order though. Three, he chose them to be his disciples. He called them to leave what they had before he called them to be his disciples. His inner circle, 12 disciples. Sometimes Jesus will ask you to follow him before you know where you're going. A.K.A. Abraham. Look in scripture. The truth is, the facts are, is that he wants us to trust him. Number four, he sent them to preach the gospel to Israel. And finally, he sent them to evangelize the world. Listen to this, Ephesians 2.20. This is what he says about his disciples. And are built, the church, Ephesians 2.20. Paul said, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. 
have I, have I built the importance of these 12 men? Do you understand? How many see their position as important as it pertains to church history? Humanly speaking, then, the 12 hardly seem qualified for the, monuments, for the <laughs> monumental task to which Jesus had called them. Thinking, considering what God was putting upon them, they hardly seemed adequate. After being delivered from the unprecedented catastrophe of a worldwide flood, Noah got drunk and disgraced himself. Abraham, the father of a nation of Israel, the spiritual father of believing Gentiles, lied about Sarah. Fearing that the Egyptians would kill him and seize her if they knew she was his wife, he pretended she was his sister. Later, his son Isaac did the same thing with his wife Rebekah. Jacob extorted his brother Esau's birthright from him. Moses' prideful disobedience of God's command kept him from entering the promised land. Aaron, Israel's first high priest, led the people into idolatry and immorality. Joshua made a treaty with some of the inhabitants of Canaan, which the Lord God forbidden Israel to do. David, Israel's greatest king, the man after God's own heart, and the sweet psalmist of Israel committed adultery with Bathsheba and then murdered her husband in an attempt to cover up her resulting pregnancy. After his triumph over the prophets of Baal of Mount Carmel, Elijah fled in abject fear from one woman. Isaiah confessed himself to be a man of unclean lips. Jonah disobeyed God's command to go to Nineveh and proclaim judgment. Instead, fled the opposite direction. After being cast overboard in a raging storm and spending three days in the stomach of a huge sea creature, the reluctant prophet obeyed obeyed God's original mandate. When the people of Nineveh repented, instead of rejoicing, Jonah became angry and wanted to die. Even the apostle Paul proclaimed himself to be the foremost of sinners and the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle because he persecuted the church of God. Do we need a more exhaustive list of all of those that we consider great men and women of the Bible that were guilty fallen creatures? The twelve weren't called the twelve because they were perfect. They were called to be the disciples of God because Jesus called them to be the disciples of God. I am who you say Huh? I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Oh, but my dad said I would never amount to anything. Oh, but my mom said I was worthless. Oh, but my brother said, oh, but my pastor in the past... Oh, but my sin is overcoming me. Oh, but my my habits and my addictions, they'll all tell you that you're not worth it. They'll all say that you're not worthy. You'll always have fear. You'll always have doubt. You'll always stare yourself in the mirror and the devil's going to lie to you and tell you that you can't do it. You can't follow through with anything. You can't raise those kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You'll tell yourself and he'll lie to you and say, you're not going to survive. You're not going to beat that health issue. No matter what it is, he'll always throw it in your face and he'll always tell you that you can't beat it. But you know what? Jesus says I'm different. The Father says that I am who He says I am. And my record, my rap sheet, is a mile long as it pertains to my sin. I'd stand before any judge. I'd be convicted by any jury of all that I've done in my past. But Jesus and the cross makes it clean. And He says, you're redeemed. You've been justified. So what happens 
the title of the message, When It's Time to Make a Decision. Luke's getting real. Do you think Jesus knew that they were sinners? Do you think Jesus knew that David would commit adultery and kill Uriah the Hittite? But did he, cho- did he choose him to be the king of Israel? It's time that we stop accepting fear and doubt from the devil. And when it comes time to make a decision for Christ, we make the right one. Because we're not who we think we are. We're who he says we are. How many feel like you just can't make a decision nowadays? I don't know if Mike feels that way. Mike's like, yeah, that's me. I can't, can't do anything right today. <laughs> I have a twisted sense of humor. Listen, church, let's be real. I'm, I'm, I'm landing the plane because we got baby dedication and we got baptisms. We're landing the plane here. How many of you feel like you just can't make a decision these days? You struggle with a decision because I may make the wrong one. How do I know if I'm making the right decision? Has anyone said that to themselves within the last 30 days? Okay, all right. I thought I was the only one up here. Man, I can't make no decision. I made a decision on this pulpit. Come on. Just kidding. Use your laughter. Mm. I'm going to be talking about this on the podcast for months. I just love this thing. How many of you struggle? You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you struggle with making the right decision? I want you to put yourself in Jesus' shoes. I'll never say, maybe, I shouldn't say never and always, but my wife and I, that's our rule. Never say never and always. Never speak in extremes, right? But I will always (laughs) try to put you in Jesus' shoes and not mine. Because I know I'll fail you. But if we can put ourselves where Jesus is, the hypocrites, the, the Pharisees are attacking him on every front. He's being followed. Think about this. How many know that there were more than 12 people following Jesus? Come on. Performing miracles, casting out demons. There were multitudes of people giving up what they had to go follow him. Church, church, think, 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 think. Multitudes of people. John the Baptist had a huge following, bigger than 12. And now Jesus was about to set apart his 12. Think about the pressure. I can't even be a captain of the t-ball team. You know what I mean? I'm like, (laughs) I feel bad about leaving that one kid on the end of the line. You know what I'm saying? Our nature struggles with just picking our few players. When I played pickup basketball, I'd be like, oh, I can't decide. Somebody else be the captain. You know what I'm saying? Because I feel bad about having to pick just four, and then I'm running with them. I was never the one who had next. I didn't want to have next. I didn't want to have that pressure of having to pick because I was going to let somebody down. Think about how Jesus felt. He was assembling his team. He needed 12 men who were going to carry the the church the distance. They would be martyred. They would be persecuted. And watch this. One would betray. And he knew it. And he needed 12. Imagine the pressure that was on him. It's only church history. (laughs) You got this, Jesus. Philippians 2, 5-8 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Watch this. Who being in the form of God... Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, listen to this, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Just in case you think it was easy on him because he was God, Paul said this, and being found in fashion as a man. 
He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He was in his human state. He was tempted as we are tempted. He was feeling the anxieties of the flesh, but yet he had equipped himself to have confidence in the decision he was about to make. Church, you feel overwhelmed. You feel like you can't do it. I feel like I just can't make this decision. Jesus was God. That was easy for him to say. It was easy for him to step up to the plate and say, hey, you, 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 you. Dom, let's go. Let's get this thing. Let's get this cracking. <laughs> let's go build the church, save the world. <laughs> no, it wasn't that easy. So knowing that he was in our position, he was a man. He left his Godhead in heaven. Became obedient unto Death. So he felt the anxiety. Three things, church. Man, three things. I'm glad I have that for emphasis today. Three things to help you make a decision. How many say, Pastor Matt, I need a little help to make my decisions sometime? Here it is. Jesus knew the right decision, even though the subject matter of the decision wasn't perfect. Some of y'all need to write this down and take it to the bank. Jesus knew the right decision, even though the subject matter of his decision wasn't perfect. Here's why. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Here's my statement. God makes a decision a good decision. Not the people that make or make up the decision. If you struggle with decisions, let me help you make a good one. You don't make it. God does. Why did Jesus rest in the 12? Oh, because of the success he was going to have in that decision. No. How did he choose 12 and one of them was a what? Traitor. That's proof in the pudding, church. How many feel like I can never make the right decision? Come on. How many of you feel like that? How many feel like I've made a bad decision before? Raise your hand. That's right. Let me help you with something. Even Jesus made a bad decision. Watch this. Follow me. But his bad decision was necessary. Had he not had one who was on the inner circle, one of the twelve betray him, he wouldn't have made it to the what? Cross. Here's here's the first thing to understanding making the right decisions. Realize that the person who makes it a good decision is God and not you. Done. Jesus knew that. And we'll get to how he knew that. But the point is, is through Scripture, he understood, my Father worketh, and I worketh hitherto. If we could have a church of Christians, if you young people, there's some, there's some young people here today, if you young people that are struggling in life, how many of you see young people nowadays struggling? Son, if you don't see it, it's there, it exists. If young people will just realize that, if I just rely on God... He'll help me make my decisions. That takes the anxiety level from 10 dB down to no dB. That shuts the noise off in life. Because who are you fighting against? Yourself. i got to make the right decision. (laughs) No, you don't. You have to let God make the decision in your life. That's it. Number two. Understand this before I go to number two. We are not perfect And neither is the elements that make up our decisions, Judas. But I know the one who controls the imperfect to make something perfect out of it. You think God, 
You think all of our sin nature is out of God's control? If it was, we wouldn't make it to heaven. He has to have control over the bad and the good. Or else we would have utter chaos. Judas was in his control. Number two, Jesus... I'll get that in a second. Jesus did what he knew to do in order for the outcome to be what it should have been. Number one, I feel like you've already missed number one. Jesus knew the right decision, even though the subject matter of the decision wasn't perfect. Were the 12 men in front of him perfect? Church, we're almost done. Were the 12 men in front of him perfect, yes or no? Did he still pick them? Sometimes we make the decision, not sometimes, all the time, we make a decision with imperfect materials. But I know a God who makes it perfect. Number two, think about this church. Jesus did what he knew to do in order for the outcome to be what it should have been. Here's the problem. Here's where, here's where it falls through the cracks. Here's where a good, what could have been a good decision goes bad. You ready for it? Here's the meat in the ravioli. Here's the, I could keep going forever, I won't. Mark 9, 29, and he said unto them, This kind cometh not, but by prayer and fasting. The disciples tried to cast out a demon, and the demon handed their butts to them. They tried to do the work of the Lord, and they got their tails handed to them. And Jesus speaks to a demon, and what? It runs. Jesus goes to them and says, Twelve men, This kind doesn't just happen. Right decisions, man, my goodness. Right decisions aren't just made. Why? Jesus did what he knew to do in order for the outcome to be what it should have been. Even married folks, the Bible says, defraud not one to another except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. I don't have really a whole lot of time to dig into that. But the Bible says that even in married couples, you need to lay off your physical relationship for a while for prayer and fasting. And the Bible says then you come back after a short season. It's not good to go a long time without a physical relationship because the devil will tempt, right? And then you'll commit adultery. But the Bible says that when married couples are having a problem, defraud not one another. Step away from, I don't think, probably have some kids in here, but step away from your physical relationship only, the Bible says, for prayer and fasting. When was the last time married couples in this room said, you know what? We're going to fast from our physical relationship for one week and we're going to give ourselves to prayer and fasting to God. And then when you come back together, who knows where you will be spiritually. Jesus was very direct and very deliberate. What did he do? Look at verse number 12 in our our proof text. And it came to pass in those days that he went into a mountain to what? Church. Why can't we make the right decisions? Because we're not doing what we need to do to make the right decision. Jesus being in the form of man, look at it, And continued all night, verse 12, in prayer to God. We're missing it right there. The Son of God, the King of kings, 
spent all night in prayer to choose the 12. He did what he needed to do to make sure that when he chose, it would be done. Don't consult more with fallen humans when it comes to an important decision than you do with the creator of the universe. Oh, we're real good on that text line. Girl, I got this decision coming. You know what I'm saying? You'll go to work and hang out with the fellas and you'll tell them all about what you're about to do. And really what you're doing when you're telling them about all that you got to do, you're really looking for feedback. You're really looking for approval for the decision that you're about to make. You know what you should and shouldn't be doing because your conscience is inside of you telling you. And God equipped us with His Holy Spirit that if we would just take a season and pray on it, you would know what to do. Jesus did what He needed to do in order for the right decision to be done. He prayed all night. And we think we can get by on five minutes of prayer. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Jesus took all night. Some of you are about to buy a house. You're about to wrap up your money for 30 years on a mortgage. And you're doing it without one prayer. I'm about to make a $25,000 decision to buy a vehicle. And I'm going to tie up that portion of my income for the next, I mean, God knows they're pushing. 110-month financing. 230-month financing. We got you covered. Low payment. No money down. <laughs> Only your life down. Don't do it, kiddos. Don't Do you understand what I'm saying to you? We're run by our bellies, the Bible says, our guts. We're hungry, so we give our birthright away. I'd look so good in that car. Honey, we need that house. This kind cometh not but by prayer and fasting. My thing, how many days do I wait, Brandon? Three. I tell tell the elders, Make me wait three days if I have a decision I want to make. Make me wait three days. But that's generally what we do. Three days. If Jesus did it in one, I need three at least. And a decision that needs to be made right away is a decision, watch me, that shouldn't be made. An emergency today is an emergency tomorrow. Ain't that right? Ain't that right? Church, I'm just going to look, look, look at you and tell you right away, stop. Just stop. He was choosing 12 disciples that would write the course of our church history. And he prayed all night on it. Why can't we make the right decision? Because we ain't willing to pray. Is that what you got out of the text? That's what I got out of the text. If I added up all your prayer time this week, how much would it be? I'm talking meals and everything. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this food. Bless it to my body. In Jesus' name, amen. We can include that. All your prayer time this week, how much would it be? Would it be enough to have a good marriage? Would it be enough to make the right decisions for your children? Would it be enough for you to let God have control over your finances? For you to let God have control over your life? And we do this thing... Off the fly. Why don't we know how to make good decisions? Because we don't know how to pray. When a decision is made properly, watch this. My goodness. 
You can rest in the process. Hey, church, say rest in the process. Rest in the process. Rest in the process. Turn to your neighbor and say stop. That's right. You stop. When a decision is made properly, you can rest in the process. Why do I know that? Listen, church, as I close. Whom also he named apostles. What did I tell you the word apostle meant? Someone who could speak what? For him. When he made the decision, he equipped these men what? To literally speak for him. When he prayed all night and came up from that prayer, he not only chose his disciples, he said, you all are speaking for me. When was the last time you made a decision and you were actually confident in it? You actually stepped back and said, got him, might drop. Jesus not only made the decision, He said, I'm giving you power to do what needs to be done. Why? Because He rested in the process. Even though one would betray Him, He knew that it was the outcome that the Lord wanted. Church, this doesn't mean it's going to be easy. This doesn't mean you're not going to have another fight in your marriage. This doesn't mean your kids are going to grow up and become saints. It doesn't mean that. This doesn't mean that you're never going to have a health issue again. So stop hitting abort mission when you think it's going awry. Did Jesus hit abort mission? Or did he say, let this cup pass from me? And then he what? Endured it. Drank of the bitter cup. Church, it ain't all roses and stuff. You know what I mean? Sweet red plums and grilled cheese sandwiches. That ain't it. It's about living the life he has for you to live because he's the one who's controlling it and he controls the outcome. That's your eternity. Let's stop judging and start trusting. Man, I know she ain't praying. Man, look at that. We're quick to judge. We're quick to say why someone is sick or why someone doesn't have money or we're quick. Are we quick to trust? You know what? I see her or I see him going through that. I'm going to lift them up in Paul, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And as for me, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Let's start praying for each other. We all have important decisions to make. Let's stop judging and start trusting. Every head bowed, every eye closed. What to do when we have an important decision to make? My goal this morning is for you to be convicted about your prayer time. That's all. If Jesus prayed all night for that big decision, we need to be praying without ceasing. That's my goal. Can we commit together, church, to pray for each other? and to pray more for our decisions. If you can commit to a a bigger prayer life, raise your hand, not to me, to God, to God. God, I'm here, and I'm talking to you. Me and you, we got this. Amen, that's it. Make that commitment. Make that commitment with God.